0: Good morning. I know they say you're not supposed to start off with an apology before you preach. I've heard that over and over, but I'm not gonna apologize for what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna apologize for my voice. So yesterday we had a great day. I coached two soccer games, so I yelled for about two hours straight, and then we came and we sang for over an hour last night, and I think I may have blown a gasket. So if I started a coughing fit or take too many drinks of water, just forgive me. We'll we'll get through this together. This morning we're going to continue our study on the book of Colossians. Uh, this is part three of that, that. I've entitled this "Whereof I am made minister." This morning we're going to be looking through Colossians chapter one and verse twenty-four through Colossians chapter two and verse three. Now, when I started this series, I had this grand idea that I was going to complete this whole study within five studies. And as you can see, we're on part three today, and we're barely cracking chapter two. There's a lot of information here, and and. The, the way that this goes with Paul and the way he transitions here, it kind of threw me off a little bit, uh, but I think there's a big blessing that we can receive from studying the next few verses about Paul, what Paul has talked about. Now, before we get too far into what we're going to talk about today, I do want to do a quick review of what we've talked about so far. In part one, we talked about the fact that Paul was in prison at the time that he wrote this letter to the church, the, the Colossian church. He's in prison and he's told by a a man named Epaphras who was kind of a cornerstone member of that church and who taught many people the gospel at that church that there were some good things happening there, which was good news. But he also tells Paul of some some potential hazards that are happening in that church or around that church. Things like false teachers uh, and also just the society that surrounds them and the influence that is tempting them at that time. And as he begins that letter he prays to God and the first thing he does is he thanks God for the good things he's thankful for the positive things that are happening in that church but then he goes on and he starts he starts praying that they would have wisdom and knowledge and not only that they would have wisdom and knowledge but that they would also walk worthy and what that means is that they would take that that wisdom and knowledge and that they would use it and live it out in their lives and as we transitioned into part two, Paul, began, Paul starts giving a description of who Jesus Christ is. He wants him to understand who Jesus Christ is, so he gives this detailed description of Jesus. And as we spoke, there was a belief, what many called the Colossian heresy at the time, that was a mixture of Greek, Hebrew, and pagan ideologies, that basically devalued who Jesus was. They did not give Jesus the credit that he deserved. So therefore, Paul gives this description and talks about Jesus as the creator of all, both visible and invisible. He also speaks of the preeminence or the superiority of Jesus Christ over the world, but not only over the world, but over the church also. And he gives us this this visual of Christ being the head and the individual members making up the body that serves him and takes their direction from Jesus Christ. And as we closed out that, that part of this study... We ended with Colossians chapter 1, and verse 23, where Paul says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And this is where I took the title for our lesson this morning, whereof I, Paul, am made minister. That's the King James Version of that. This morning we're going to be using mostly the ESV, so if you'd like to follow along up here, that you'll, you'll we'll have all those verses up here. So Paul says, I've become a minister of Jesus Christ. I have become a servant of Jesus Christ. And picking up where we left off in that verse, Paul is reassuring the, Col- the Colossians that the message of Jesus Christ that they have heard is sufficient, that it's powerful enough to save them, and that you can have salvation through Jesus Christ but he also encourages them to remain grounded in that because he understands what's happening in the society around them. And now he's transitioning in this new part. And again, when I started reading this, I'm like, why is Paul talking about himself? Why is he, why is he telling us about how, how he's a minister? Why is he telling us all this? And I had a hard time with that. But I think the more we study, the more we understand... Paul's intentions here, and that's what I hope to get across today, is Paul's intentions and his goal and his meaning and his reason for why he did what he did. So this morning, we want to start off by looking at Paul's attitude in his service to Christ. Paul had an attitude, first of all, of joy. And as we begin verse 24, Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings when I suffer the last thing I think to do is rejoice it's hard to find joy when we when we're going through the bad times about a year ago it was it wasn't quite a year ago we made this grand decision to sell our house well it sold in about two hours and we didn't have anywhere to live and the people weren't accepting our contract so we had to place had to find a place to live for about a month and a half luckily we were blessed with that In that time, we got into wreck, and I couldn't buy a new car because I was trying to buy a house. And then the plumbing was not good at the new house, so we didn't know when we were going to get to move in. It was just a mess. And I'm going to tell you, when you think about that and you look at the overall picture, it's not that big of a deal. We had people take care of us. Will and Don gave us a car to use for several weeks. We had people blessing us, but the fact is, is sometimes during that time, I had a hard time finding joy In my suffering, I had a hard time. But you think about what Paul is saying here; it seems that he he sees this suffering as a privilege, as an opportunity to suffer for a great cause, and that's Christ. He saw his sufferings as a privilege. How do you do that? How do you figure that out? What kind of mindset do you have to have to be able to find joy in your sufferings? You see, I think about my inconveniences, and I use that word inconveniences because when I go out and I do work for Jesus Christ, I might have a little bit of an inconvenience here or there. I've had doors slammed in my face when I'm knocking doors. I've had people tell me no. I've had people call me names, kind of mock me never really suffered you're talking about paul who is sitting in prison at this moment while he's writing this message to this church because he is speaking the word of god because he's teaching the gospel of jesus christ that's suffering that's true suffering and yet he can find the joy why is it so hard for me sometimes to find joy when things are going bad for me or when somebody calls me name, when I get my feelings hurt, but yet Paul can sit in prison or be beaten or be threatened with death and still find a reason to have joy. Why is that? It's all about focus. You see, when somebody slams the door in my face or calls me a name, I take that personally and I don't like it and I don't want my feelings to be hurt and you're you're doing me wrong. But you see, Paul didn't look at it that way. Paul had the larger picture in mind. It wasn't about him at all. It was all about his goal and his mission to serve Jesus Christ. It's all about our focal point, and it makes all the difference. And that's exactly why Paul could find joy in his sufferings. If you look in Philippians chapter 4, again, I would tell you, go listen to, to Trevor's series of sermons on the book of Philippians, Finding Joy in Christ, Paul, once again, says to the Philippians, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say, Rejoice. And then he goes on and he talks about enduring things and going through these different things in these hard times. And in verse 13 of that same chapter, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And you know, the religious world today will look at this and a lot of times will pull it out of context and they'll say, Well, I can do anything. And we'll put it on our eye black and we'll say, I'll go win that game for Jesus Christ, or I'm going to get the promotion that I've always wanted through strength from Jesus Christ. But if you look at the context of what Paul is talking about here, what he's saying is that no matter what he goes through, no matter what he has to endure, if he has to sit in prison, if he has to be beaten, he can find strength to endure that through Jesus Christ. It's all about context. We find joy when our focal point is on Jesus Christ and not ourselves. Where is our focal point this morning? Hopefully, we can. if it's not on Jesus Christ, we can move it in that direction. Paul goes on in this verse and he says, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. We talked a lot in part two about the body, the individual members. So what he's saying is, I'm suffering for the body of Christ. I'm suffering for the church. And the thing about what Paul is talking about here, you have to understand Paul's mindset. Paul understood from the beginning, at his conversion, that he would suffer for Christ. He understood that. If you look at this idea, you understand that he is completely Christ driven and Christ focused. That's his focus. And it didn't matter how much he was going to suffer for that. He was willing to do it because it wasn't about him. It was about Christ. He understood the suffering that he would have to go through. If you look at, at his conversion in Acts chapter 9, and verse 16, the Lord speaking to Ananias of Paul says this. He says, For I will show him, Paul, how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. Paul understood at his conversion that his life was not going to be easy. He understood that he would have to suffer for his service to Jesus Christ. And yet he made a commitment to that. And we see later on, he's sitting in prison, writing a letter to a church he had never attended for speaking about Jesus Christ, for telling others about the gospel. He was Christ-driven He was Christ-focused in everything he did. And again, that question has to be asked. Are we driven, are we focused by God or ourselves? Let's take the example of Paul. Let's let Christ be our focus. Let's let him be our reason why, just like Paul did. Because he had an unwavering dedication to Christ. And hopefully we can have that same dedication to Jesus Christ also. So when we look at his attitude in his service, I think a big reason he he was able to find joy, and was to be able to be so focused on Christ was the fact that he understood the source of his ministry. He understood the source of his job, of his mission, and that was God and Jesus Christ. Colossians one in verse twenty five, he goes back and he says, "Of which I became minister," referring back to the body of Christ. So he's already said he's a servant of Jesus Christ or a minister of Jesus Christ, but he's also a minister of the body. Of Jesus Christ, which is the church. He was made a minister, and we see that he was given this charge or this purpose directly from the authority, directly from Jesus Christ. Next, chapter 26, another account of his conversion. Verse 16, it says, but rise and stand upon your feet, speaking to Paul, for I appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which, I have se- which you have seen me, and to those of which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people, from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes, so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and place among those who are sanctified in faith by me. The source has just given him a job to do. Directly from the authority, what better motivation than that? To be told exactly what you're supposed to do, be told exactly your mission in life by the authority, by the head. He had a source and that's motivating. And when you have a motivation like that, it's, it's much easier to find joy, even in the tough times. Because again, you're not focused on yourself, you're focused on the bigger picture. He goes on in that same verse, just saying, of which I become a minister of the church. He's saying, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Paul talks about this idea of this stewardship of God. And, and you look at that word, and the Greek definition essentially means management what is put into effect a plan. He has been given a plan, he has been given a mission from the source directly from Jesus Christ, to go out and preach the gospel, to teach others about Jesus Christ. And again, that comes directly from God. Think of that word steward. A steward is somebody who oversees and completes the work of the owner. What is Paul doing here? Is is anything that he's talked about about himself yet? Not a thing. He was given a plan to oversee and complete for the head. And that's exactly what he was doing. And that source gave him motivation. It helped him through. It gave him strength, as we read in Philippians 4.13. He found that strength through Jesus Christ. And then we know exactly what he was asked to do. In verse 25, it says, to make the word of God fully known. That's his job the source is telling him to go preach and make the word of God fully known. And that was his job, and that was his dedication. And because of that, you think of how motivated he was to even sit in prison, to be beaten, because the source told him. But again, I want to go back to this idea that it wasn't about Paul at all. This wasn't his idea, this same idea came directly from Jesus Christ. If you look at Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, what we call the Great Commission, he says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. You See, this wasn't Paul's idea. Again, it came directly from the source. And it's the same job that was given to the disciples that Jesus told at this point in time And he's doing that same job, and he's fiercely committed to it. He had a source. He knew exactly what his job was, and he knew exactly where it came from. And that was from Jesus Christ. And because of that source, he had a new message. He had a new message. And Jason talked a little bit about this last week in his study on the book of Ephesians. In Colossians 1, verse 26, he says, "...the mystery hidden for ages and generations." Referring back to making that word of God fully known that we just read in verse 25. That's the mystery that has now been revealed, that is now available to all. And that's that Jesus Christ was willing to sacrifice himself, give himself up on the cross, and die for our sins. That's the mystery that's fully known. The fact that we can live a life complete through Jesus Christ is now available to them at this church and for us today, in extension to that. Jason read this verse. He said in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2, he says, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that is given to me for you, sounds very familiar to the wording of what we talked about earlier in this lesson today. He says, Not only do the Jews have access to being a child of God, it is now available to all. Anybody who is willing to submit themselves to Jesus Christ have the opportunity to live a life in Christ, to be forgiven of their sins, to have an opportunity of salvation. And this is the message that Paul has been called to get that out and let people know of the importance and the blessings that come through Jesus Christ. And as we move on in this verse, he says, but now revealed to his saints, to them that chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery. You see the gospel was not just given to the philosophers. It was not just given to the emperors, to the theologians, to the professors, to the scientists, to the biblical elite. This gospel was revealed to fishermen, to tax collectors, to the lowly. And I want you to think about the situation around this church at this time. You have a group of people who devalue who Jesus is, who take away from the power of Jesus Christ. And in their mind, they're all knowing and they look down on this church as ignorant. But yet, who has the most important life-saving message? It's the church. It's the body of Christ. And it was received by his saints. And that message is the fact that you can have Christ in you, and you can have the hope of glory through that salvation. I think this all kind of comes full circle. When we look back to what we've talked about this morning at the very beginning, how Paul can find joy in his suffering. Why can Paul find joy in his suffering? Why can Paul sit in prison? Why can he be beaten? Because he has Christ in him. Because he has the hope of glory. And we read Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 as he's been talking about suffering. She says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. You want to know why Paul can sit and find joy in his suffering? Because he understands that it's about the bigger picture. It's about the fact that he has something far better waiting for him. And that that suffering is only temporary. Again, it's all about that focal point. It's all about our focus. Are we focused on ourselves? Are we focused on God? Are we focused on Jesus Christ? Because when we do that and we understand the hope of glory, that motivates us to serve him better. So Paul has this new message, which leads him to his work. And you think about this new message because of this revelation, because of this message that he has to to send out to everyone, not just the Jews, but the Jew and Gentile alike, He's got a big job to do. He's got a lot of work to do. And we see in the next verse, verse 28, he begins that by saying, Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, we teach Jesus Christ. Why? Because they need it. They need to hear the message. He goes on, he says, Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. He has a message, an important message. An important job to warn about the consequences of not knowing Jesus Christ, about not obeying the gospel, but also an important message of the blessings that come through Jesus Christ. And he has the ability to do that. And with the ability to do that and the charge to do that from the authority, he's dedicated to it. And he's going to go out and do it. And he's going to spend his life doing it. And that's his mission. He goes on to say that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And this is the goal, isn't it? That he can go out and he can re, he can spread that message of Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes through him and that he can help others become mature in Jesus Christ. That's his job. That's his mission. That's what he needs to accomplish. That's his ultimate goal. But I want us to also understand this. This isn't just his goal. This is also the goal of Jesus Christ. When we look back to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22, as we talked about in our last part, he says in verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Why did Jesus Christ sacrifice himself? So we could have salvation. So we could be forgiven of our sins. So that we could become a part of the body of Christ. What I want us to see here is that Paul's goals are not his own, but they align with the goals of Jesus Christ. And what Paul understands is that if he can go out and he can teach somebody and bring them to maturity in Christ, that they can then go out themselves and do the same thing. And then they can go do the same thing. And we see the body is benefited. We see the body is strengthened. We see that the body grows. And what happens when the body of Christ grows? The temptation of society becomes less and less. Paul had a mission. He had a work to do, and again, he was fiercely dedicated to that, and we see that in the last few verses. We see his love and dedication not only to Christ, but to the body also. In Colossians 1 and verse 29, he says, "'For I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face.'" Paul says that he goes out because of the big job that he has, because of what he has to do. He's going to go out, and he's going to work, and he's going to struggle for that. And he wants them to see the struggle. He wants them to understand what he's going through. Is it because he wants them to, others to think he's such a nice guy, and he just he's a pretty good preacher, and he does all? No, that's not it at all. You think about this word, Struggling. This struggling refers to a contest, contending against adversaries, struggling with difficulties and dangers. Paul is doing this exact thing right now, writing this letter from prison so that others can hear the gospel, even people he has never met. The fact is, is love, his love for Christ extended to those he had never met, extended to the body of Christ, and even beyond that. He struggled because the body needed him to struggle. He suffered because the body needed him to suffer. He suffered because it strengthened the body of Christ. That's dedication. I want us to think about Paul's example for just a second this morning. Paul's example As he's sitting in prison, writing this letter to these people who he has never met. And a big part of the reason he's in prison is because he's preaching for people he has never even met. He's spreading the gospel to people he's never met. He's sitting in prison. While a society around this church devalues Jesus. And they say, Jesus can't be God. Jesus was not the creator. But you know, their words, it's just a lot of talk. Because we we talked about how they were immoral, how they were very selfish. We talked about that in part two. But they have this message that Christ is not who Paul or anybody else claims him to be. And yet, Paul's willing to sit in prison for the message that Christ is superior, for the message that Christ is the creator. You see, where one group of people is all about words, we have this man who's all about action and showing his dedication and love to Christ through his action and through his suffering. You see, this isn't at all about Paul wanting to boast. It's all about Paul's example saying, Christ is my focus And I do this because of that. I do this because this was the mission that was given to me. It wasn't about him at all. It was all about Jesus Christ. He goes on then in verse two, and he says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul says he hopes for three things. First of all, that they would find encouragement. When you look at the Greek for this, it's kind of a double meaning word. Basically, is that they would have comfort, but it would also exhort them to go out and be a better servant of Christ. That's his first hope. He then talks about them being knit together in love. and This one kind of hits me in the heart a little bit. When you look at this word knit, it says join together. to to unite, to share a bond, to be together. Paul understood the value of godly relationships. He understood the importance in having godly relationships. I don't know where, where I'd be today if it weren't for the value of godly relationships? I don't know. I was lucky to grow up where I had a good base of Christian friends. And then when I came to college, I was lucky enough to have that here. I'm lucky enough to still have that today. You know, when I could have been out partying or doing no, all manner of, of whatever, On a Friday night, I had an option not to do that because I had a bond with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And it wasn't just my friends that were my age. It was the older generation. It was all ages that supported me, that gave me options, that helped me and kept me out of trouble. Not saying that I'm perfect, not saying that, but it saved me a lot of heartache from what could have happened. You know, even after church in about 2000, 2001, going over to Sharon Carey's after the evening service, and I don't even think we were invited most of the time. We just showed up, and we got the papers out, and for you young guys, they used to put these ads in newspapers, and you'd look through them. We, that's what we would do, and I don't know why. We couldn't buy anything. We were poor college kids. But just having that option, having that option to have a bond with people that are like-minded, that can keep us on the right track, that we can study with, that we can eat together with, that we can worship together with, that we can grow in our relationship with Christ together with. Paul understood the value of that. And that's something we need to be teaching our kids. That's something we need to be sharing with our kids because our kids are gonna grow up in a society that's much worse than we ever faced. We need to teach them how to be together, how to worship together, how to study together, and how to grow together in their relationships so that they can go out and they can face the society that they have to face together. Because when we have a group, we can overcome a lot as a group when it's a lot harder for us to overcome on our own. Let's take this advice and let's make sure we grow our, our relationships because it is important. And finally, he says that they would have full assurance through Christ. That they would have a confidence in their salvation. We can have confidence in our salvation because Jesus Christ died on the cross. After living a perfect life, he was buried And then he was resurrected three days later. He overcame death and he gave us a way to be forgiven of our sins. If you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, you have the opportunity to take advantage of that and I pray that you will. You hear the word, you believe it. You repent of your past life and you turn yourself around. You confess that Jesus Christ is the son of God and you're buried with him in baptism and you rise up to walk a new life. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling. Something, something's going on in your life. Could be spiritual, could be mental, could be physical. Whatever it is, that's what about all about. That's what we're talking about when we talk about being knit together in love. We can pray for you. We can pray with you. But it doesn't end there. We'll continue to pray for you. We'll continue to pray with you. We'll study with you. We'll support you in any way that we can. If you need the help of the church, come to the front as we stand and sing.